Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Cloudmasters. Um, I'm Matan Bordeaux, your host, joined by my co-host Sam Clark. We're joined by two additional doers, Avi Kanan and Javier Carrera. They are both senior cloud architects or senior solutions architects, depending how you how you view it. Same thing to us though. Um, at Doit, they help uh, customers uh, with tons of AWS issues, not just restricted to AWS, but they're here to talk to us about a uh, an upcoming price hike um, announced by AWS back in July that's set to take into effect um, in February 2024. Uh, specifically, they're hiking the prices of IPv4 IP addresses. How you say it? Maybe uh, someone, maybe Javier, you can you can start us off by just describing in more detail what's happening. I understand this is not as nefarious or evil of a price hike as it may first uh, appear they're trying it i think it's aws trying to guide us to uh guide customers to better behavior is that correct that's right so the this uh, change was uh, announced back in july and it's uh, bringing aws uh, in line with uh, google cloud and azure who are already charging customers for using public IP addresses. So this is a no big surprise. It's just the, something that uh, I think it would happen sometime. And the date will be February the 1st, uh, 2024. So basically, uh, as uh, I said, uh, AWS is going to charge for public IP addresses, something they didn't do before, with the exception of a... Yeah. The Elastic IP addresses, which are the chart, if you were uh, not actually using them after uh, yeah. requesting them. And also, um, they charged you for using secondary public IP addresses uh, based on Elastic IP addresses. So, uh, this is a change that will affect uh, most customers. As in, in one form or another, they are using public IP addresses. Abby, is there anything you would like to add to this announcement? I think it's relatively clear, right? Yeah, Abby, maybe you describe actually why are they doing this? Basically, AWS, they already have something like um, 136 million IP addresses. Um, so they have a lot. And the problem is that every time they onboard new and new customers, they need more IPs, and it became, let's call it a struggle to find enough IP addresses in the open market because you can't get more IPs from the providers anymore. Um, so it, it feels like they try to set the minimal price that they can to make sure people will try to avoid using that. So we will charge the minimum and we hope that the customers will start using the best practices, the all the all the other options that are available to make sure that people won't use IPs just because it's free. So our, our IP addresses kind of like is it's a finite resource, at least for IPB, I guess in general, but IPv4, it's kind of like Bitcoin where there's a, there's a, a set amount and um, I guess the more that people mine, or in this case, the more IP addresses that are assigned, the more expensive that the leftovers become. And uh, it's been costing more money that way. You you can, uh, in theory, you can use up to four point twenty nine billion IPv four addresses, 
whereas there are like uh, 340 trillion, trillion, trillion IP addresses in version 6 of IP of the IP protocol, right? So uh, we can be sure that we are not going to run out of IPv6 IP addresses, uh, but that's a story uh, we tell later, right? Yeah, I'm actually looking at a chart right now, Abhi, that you shared in a blog post about this. And it looks like from 2010 to 2020, the range of per IP cost per IP was like 10 to $20. And now it's somewhere between 30 to $60 over the last like three years. So yeah. I guess it makes sense. It depends on the, the size, the location. Um, think of that. Let's say I want to buy the minimum that you can purchase is 200 and 256 IPs. Um, for AWS, purchasing such amount of IPs, it's a waste of time. They need people to sell them like millions and millions of IPs. And the other than think of that, like you need to expense $4 report. The time it will take you to process the report inside the company will cost more than the amount. Um, by the way, it, I think like 30 years ago to promote the internet, companies like Visa, Apple, uh, Disney, they got like, um, they were assigned like millions and all oh, tens of millions of IP addresses. So let's say you have Apple that wants to buy IP addresses or um, Amazon that wants to buy IP addresses and they can buy it from Apple, which they are considered as competitors, or they can buy it from Disney, who are also competitors. So your only option to purchase uh, huge blocks of IP addresses is from your um, competitors. So it's not something that is going to work. It's not something that, that it's easy um, to AWS to find providers with plenty of IP addresses. Um, I think the last, the last block that they purchased was three dot something dot something. And that's was, that was from Yale university. So you don't have many, many options to purchase IP addresses. You know, we, we discussed what's, what's happening and why. Um, I think what it's, it's about half a cent per IP now they're charging you per month or it's per hour. Three dollars and 65 cent per month. Zero dot zero zero five dollars per IP per hour, which seems like a small amount of money. But once you multiply that by hundreds or thousands of IP addresses, that can, can sum up to a nice amount. Uh, I just wanted to, to add that uh, this will affect not only EC2 instances that you connect to public subnets, but also to uh, AWS managed services. So this is something that, to be aware of. Uh, for example, if you, you're using the side-to-side -side VPN service, managed service, uh, that consumes two IP addresses, two public IP addresses, you will be charged for that in addition to what you have to pay for using that service. But so that, yeah. that leads me actually to a question, Javier. Um, there's there's one service that pops to mind and that's uh, load balancers, right? So typically with AWS load balancers, um, the way they work behind the scenes is if, you, if you've got a, a an ALB, let's say, um, then it's deployed actually in all three AZs where you deploy that, it's got three separate public IP addresses in DN, you, you aren't given the IP addresses in the console because they can change as Amazon replaces them, scales them, all that sort of thing. 
the best practice is to connect via DNS. You use your DNS address, you get back an IP, a public IP4 address. Am I going to get charged half a cent per hour times three for each of those? That's right. And not only that, because uh, load balancers are auto-scalable, meaning that uh, if you get a lot of traffic, then more nodes will be deployed in each of the subnets. So it's not only three, but even more, depending on the... Yeah. The yeah, workload. Yeah. It starts at three. Yeah, exactly. That means that I need to switch everything to IPv6, but some clients can't use IPv6, right? I, I don't think, I don't think that's the correct answer. Um, first of all, um, ALB can have up to a hundred IP addresses, if I remember correctly. But if you have a hundred IP addresses with one load balancer, it means that your invoice is something like six or seven digits. So the cost of the public IP is not something you are worried about. Um, but you still need to support IPv4. You still need to provide services to your customers. Even if a small portion of the world works with IPv6, um, the majority of your customers are still running IPv4 and you need to support that. Exactly. So this is, I mean, b back in the days I worked at AWS, we always used to talk about how we'd never raise prices. Um, and you could argue that that this is an introduced new price rather than a raised price. But uh, at the end of the day, this is probably going to have a fairly significant impact on uh, most customers' bills. For a start, when you deploy an EC2 instance, by default, it's in a public IP subnet. And what we mean by a public IP subnet for, for most people is something that has an IP gateway, uh, sorry, an, an internet gateway uh, assigned, and something where by default you have the, the option enabled to assign a public IP address per instance when you deploy it. So most people in the world are going to have that running. Um, that's, that's even just that little bit is going to add a huge cost to everyone's bill, right? It's going to affect, uh, I would say all customers and the, the impact will depend on the amount of resources that they are exposing on the internet. We have done some analysis on that impact and uh, there's no, I mean, there's no common um, pattern, every customer is different. They use services in different ways. They expose their services using different approaches. Uh, and we have cases where large customers will add a significant uh, cost to their bills. And there are others where the, 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 the impact will be minimal. Uh, Avi, we have some extreme issue, uh, uh, some extreme uh, customers here, right? Because uh, we have some very, very large customers using public IP addresses massively. And also we have some smaller customers whose bill is not that big monthly, but the impact of this change will be significant, right? So um, I did a test on my end and for the average customer, it's 2.6% increase. Um, so if you are average customer, if you're not doing something special, that, that's probably the, the um, impact of your case or even, or even invoice. But we did have two customers where in one case, it was a low increase, but it was $25,000 per month. And for many companies, $25 per month, yeah, you can hire two more people with this budget. So 
if you have you have you have they gave you six months notice to make sure you will spend the time migrating to a different solution and another customer the price was i think two thousand euros but it was 30 percent of the invoice so a price increase of 30 percent of your invoice it's significant it's you know it's it, it can destroy your business model if you are um small business i guess in a nutshell is even if it's not a big portion of your bill, if the change doesn't cause like a big increase in your bill, you should still look at the absolute number because um, it could, I mean, there's opportunity costs. What, what can you do with that money instead, instead of paying for those for those public IP addresses that, that now cost you money that didn't in the past. Um, but for the average customer, for any customer, I should say, how can they evaluate the impact? I know, I know AWS, um, gave some tools. I know you can do. You can also understand this in the Do It console. But let's start with AWS. AWS uh, on the day they announced this change, they also announced a new free feature uh, associated to the VPCIP address manage, manager service. And this new feature allows you to analyze your consumption of public IP addresses. So you will be able to, using this tool, which is free, see how many public IP addresses you're using and the, the impact of this price change. I have to add that although this tool is free, it's a, it's a regional analysis, meaning that you have to go region by region and account by account to see how many public IP addresses you're consuming in each of the regions per account. There are other alternatives. Uh, so uh, one which is straightforward is using the CUR, the cost and usage report. So, and this is something we also leverage and I guess uh, Avi um, might want to add something here, but uh, the CUR is the default way that AWS uh, reports your consumption. And there are SKUs, uh, IDs that are associated to resources or features that you're consuming. And two uh, additional um, SKUs were added, and they are already present in your uh, report, so you can, customers can analyze it. Those two curves are called a public IPv4 idle address and public IPv4 in-use address. So if you look at your core report, you can know how much you're going to be paying for those resources uh, after February the 1st. Those addresses, I assume, are uh, regionally uh, keyed as well. So it'll be EU-PublicIP and AFS-DAC. That's yeah. right. That's right. But, but uh, as you will get a single core report for all your accounts in all your regions, then it's easy to analyze the total uh, consumption. I think that the easiest way, uh, if you are not scared by the world cost explorer, if, if you're not frightened, um, that would be the easiest way because it allows you to see the, all the regions in the account. And if you are logged into the organization account, it will, you will be able to see the entire organization usage. If you check before February 1st, the cost is zero because the price announcement starts, um, price increase starts on February 1st. 
but you can still see the number of hours that you have in each region. You can multiply it by the price, 0 0.005, and then you get the cost for that region, for that account. It depends on the way you sort the costs. Um, we published a nice blog post that shows everything, explain it in details. I assume we will add it to the comments of this uh, podcast. And um, uh, for me, it's, you know, I, I prefer Cost Explorer rather than logging to each of the accounts, each of the regions. Um, the tool that is available from the IP address management page, um, it's only available from the console. There's no way to trigger that from the uh, CLI. If you want to digest cost and usage report, good luck. Sometimes it's more than 50 gigabyte of data. So it's not, easy, not, not an easy task. I'm also not available for, um, for, for everyone. Um, so if you have access to Cost Explorer, this is most likely the easiest way to do that. Even if you are afraid from the, the name of this product and that too many numbers, too many graphs, um, we share the detailed explanation on how to extract the costs. And um, that's the way I will do it. And additionally, if you are a do-it customer, you have the, uh, the cloud uh, analytics functionality inside the do-it console, right? And it's, um, I would say, much easier to consume than the Cost Explorer approach, right? Yeah, I think we'll probably include a, a, a graph, or not a graph, a, either a graphic over this or a video It's as part of like the episode notes that just shows how you would calculate this in the Do-It console. And of course, Abby already um, shows in his, in his blog post how to calculate it in the Cost uh, Explorer via screenshots. Um, we also reach out to the to our customers that are going to spend a lot and notify them. So if you look for another reason to be a do-it customer, here we go. Yeah. I um now so let's say person listening to this has evaluated the impact, how much it's going to cost them, whether it's two percent, five percent, one percent, and they made the decision. I need to get off of uh, this version four stuff. What are my what are their options, and in which case would you go with with different options? Um, it, feel free to include your opinions. What's best? What's easiest? Etc. Getting rid of IPv4 public IP addresses is not that easy, right? And not all services in AWS support IPv6 fully. There are some limitations, so at least you should try to expose as little as possible using public IPv4 addresses, right? So uh, you can uh, try to avoid using NAT gateways if possible, if you're just using, uh, if you're just uh, simply accessing AWS services, you have the VPC endpoints, uh, both interface and gateway VPC endpoints allow you to save money when uh, accessing AWS services, the same region. Also, um, you have the AWS Global Accelerator, which still consume public IP addresses, but uh, you can expose multiple services through the public uh, Global Accelerator IP addresses. And so in general, try to be as, as efficient as possible with what you already have uh, at hand, meaning that you don't have to throw away what you already have, but try to be more efficient using those resources in order to minimize 
the public IP address consumption. And on the other side, we have the uh, strategy of adopting IPv6, right? But this is, again, there's no, um, there's no direct migration in some situations. You need to understand the impact of those changes, whether your application will be accessible to all customers. So you, you need to, to, to uh, study this change and this is not something you can do from one day to three, right? One way that one way that you could go ahead, like if we if we talk product specifics here, um, and obviously I'm not going to go into 200 different AWS services, but um, EC2 is a really common one that ev almost everyone's using, um, and a lot of people through default, through laziness, whatever, use the default VPC with default subnet settings, and so they might deploy an automate uh, an an ASG and an auto scaling group. They might deploy that with a standard template, which automatically assigns every instance in that group with a default public IP address. Those are all now going to get charged. And then they're sitting behind the load balancer that is also getting charged for those. So when it comes down to, to, um, being a little bit more deliberate about your public IP address usage, you want to go and look at things that really don't need a public address, things that could use an internal path, uh, internal to, to your cloud setup so that you can get rid of all those public addresses, stop paying for them, and just use the ones that you really have to, for example, on your public-facing load balances or something like that, right? So one more thing that I will add, um, if you know how to evaluate your services and if you know what it's doing, you may be able to remove it completely. Let's say you have, you have a simple app with a web server and a database. The web server can work with private IP the database can work as well. And your only expense for, for public IP addresses is for the load balancers. Um, so if you know what you are running, you might be able to cut your costs dramatically. You gotta look at my private accounts because I'm pretty sure I've never bothered changing the default settings for public IP addresses. <laughs> it's only gonna be $3 a month, but that's $3 I can have instead of Amazon, right? Yeah. There are some some low hanging fruit. Uh, I'm thinking more, thinking more uh, bastion hosts. Uh, bastion hosts have been typically used to enable the management of internal instances. We have at least two alternatives to bastion hosts uh, currently in AWS. One of them is session manager, and the other is uh, the PPC uh, endpoint. Uh, sorry, PPC instance connect uh, endpoints. Right. So using these two approaches you can access internal instances without consuming the public IP addresses of the Bastion hosts, right? So if you really, really analyze how your architecture is uh, deployed, you can find opportunities to save some money and additionally increase the security of your configuration, right? So... Um, as I said, you don't necessarily have to move to IPv6 to, to save some money uh, after this change. You can start using functionality that's already in place. And Avi, didn't you mention, I think in, 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 when, I, when I went through your blog post, you also mentioned some open source solution as well, but I'm, I'm not sure yeah. how, how, uh, how applicable it is to, uh, to listeners. I don't know if there's specific requirements, but maybe you can talk more about that. Um, there are a few alternatives. 
just like a Javier mentioned, um, that basically instead of going, instead of each EC2 instance or each resource in your environment would have a public IP address, you can have a private IP address and then you can route the traffic outside the, to the internet with other solutions. That could be like a vendor or firewall, let's say Checkpoint, FortiGate, uh, Cisco, all of the above. They have, um, they have their own uh, firewall solution. Uh, you can also use NAT Gateway, which is a great solution, but if you consume a lot of data, you will pay for the processing fees, which might be higher than the cost of public IP addresses. And there is a product, there is an open source solution called um, Alternat, uh, which they have like plenty of stars on GitHub, but I didn't test it. Uh, I'm not sure it's a good recommendation for a production VPC, production local workload. But um, the way it works is that basically it routes the traffic through an instance that acts as a map. And there is health check with Lambda, I think, that simply makes sure that if this instance is going down, another one will pop up and you're only paying for the instance. So instead of paying, let's say, 300, 500, 800 dollars per month for a vendor firewall instance or not gateway, you can simply pay only for um, one instance. I, I've recommended Alternat to a few customers um, and they've been really happy with it. it um, I think they've got some calculations on their own webpage. Depend it depends a lot on the size of the instances you use, the traffic that goes through it and so on. But um, once you start pushing something sort of the five to 10 terabytes of data a month kind of range, then it becomes really quite a good cost saving type uh, methodology. What's also really cool about it um, is uh, they give you the, the configurations to turn any regular instance into a NAT gateway uh, or into a NAT device. Um, they, they give all the commands as it's part of the setup. And also it's backed by actual regular NAT gateways. So there's a fallback plan there that um, the instances are never unreachable. Um, there's the, if, if your, if all of your instances do go down, then it will route the traffic through NAT gateways. But that has the flip side that you're still paying the NAT gateway running costs because they are still present in your environment. So the big, the big cost everyone complains about with NAT gateway is the data processing. It's removing that. Is, th is there like, um, like a rule of thumb or. Like if I think about for spot instances, they say, oh, if you're, for your development and staging and testing environments, use spot. For, for, for containerized workloads, use spot. For CI, CD, use spot. Is there uh, just buckets of industries where, you know, before, even without calculating the impact, because you're in this type of industry or because this is a specific type of application, you should highly consider checking the impact because you'll probably heavily impact or, or is it just kind of like some companies in the medical in healthcare, health tech, they'll have some high high costs as a result of this, and some others won't. Is this industry specific? Is it like, or is it more likely to? Are we more likely to see a cost spike or a higher percentage impact of, of your total bill in specific industries or specific types of applications, or is it just kind of like a wild card? I think that if you process um, ingress and egress more than five terabytes per month you should consider using one of the um, tools that we mentioned. Um, but the problem is how to calculate how much you process. It's not easy. You are not aware of all the moving parts in your system. I can give you an example. If you read from DynamoDB or from, from S3, 
uh, because it's in the region, but outside of the VPC, it's, it still goes through the NAT gateway, alternate firewall, whatever we talked about. So if you are paying for processing fees and you upload a file to S3, for example, or download a file from S3, you will pay for that, for the processing fees. Um, you can use VPC endpoint to go around, but the, the thing is that if you know to evaluate, if you, if you can evaluate the numbers in your, in your environment and it's above five terabytes, you should consider the alternatives. Um, below that, I would just recommend to use um, not gateway. Another easy solution for people that it's hard for them to evaluate that, run not gateway for one hour, check the billing the day after. Or run not gateway for 10 minutes, check the billing the day after. Got it. And uh, before we wrap up, is there any, any final comments from anyone? Uh, anything we missed? I would say uh, it's going to be difficult to completely get rid of this extra charge. But at least this is a good time to reevaluate your architectures, uh, both from a cost perspective and also from the security perspective. So I think it's a nice exercise to to review your network configuration after this announcement. When you say security perspective, there are, you elaborate? Yeah, as I said, uh, one of the strategies is to try to expose as little as possible. That includes uh, bastion hosts, jump boxes, and also your load balancers and NAT gateways, NAT gateways or NAT instances if you used to use them, right? So, uh, the less you connect directly to the internet using the public uh, address, the more secure you will be. Got it. Um, well, thanks for spelling that out for, for simpletons like me. Uh, if there's no other uh, final comments, then we can, uh, we can sign off. Going once, going twice, sold. All right. Avi, Javier, thanks for joining us and sharing, uh, sharing your knowledge about this upcoming uh, price increase. So uh, whoever's listening, you have a couple. Uh, you have a couple strategies to kind of uh, mitigate the costs, minimize the impact, rearchitect your application for cost and for security. Um, we'll be sharing in the episode notes a blog post that you can read if you if you uh, prefer that medium instead. And uh, see you in the next episode. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. All right. Cloud Masters is a Duet multimedia production hosted by Matan Bordo, a product marketing manager at Duet, and Sam Clark, a technical account manager at Duet. Our guests this week were Avi Kanan and Javier Carrera, both senior cloud architects at Duet. Editing and production of Cloud Masters is handled by me, Crispin Stanback, multimedia content producer at Duet. To hear more episodes of Cloud Masters and to learn more about how Duet delivers the true promise of the cloud, visit duet.com for additional resources.